just finished recording with Machai Viravaidya. It was, I'm not going to lie, it was a kind of awkward conversation, in part because I have been looking forward to speaking with him since I first learned about him. I learned, and I've done several episodes about him, and I'm going to post a whole lot of material that he sent me, as you'll hear in the conversation. So please learn all about him. Why is he so important? When you work on the environment, you come to population. There's no way around it. And for most of my life, I thought the one-child policy, uh, eugenics, these things, the cure was worse than a disease. There's nothing we could do about it. So why bring it up, even though it's such an important issue? Machai Viravaidya in Thailand did what the opposite of the one-child policy, the opposite of eugenics. He created a fun approach to family planning in the 70s, then through the 80s and all throughout ever since in Thailand to think the opposite of the one-child policy, think the opposite of eugenics. Think of voluntary, non-coercive, everyone involved is having a great time. He would bring condoms to schools and have blowing them up like balloon contests. There's Captain Condom, superhero character. The Cops and Rubbers program where police officers would give out the condoms to anyone who asked and made contraception available. They have massive vasectomy events. They were really fun. It does not sound weird. Yes, but that worked. They went from something close to maybe around seven children per couple when he started to now down below two. This is a conservative country, Buddhist, but the crown, the monarchy was not into this at the beginning. You'll hear in the conversation how he approached these things. So I was already, I wanted to ask him about how these things happened. A couple days ago before the conversation, oh, I should say, I heard about him through Alan Weissman, who's been a podcast guest in his book, Countdown. He profiles uh, Machai. By the way, the Machai, a Machai in Thailand is a condom. His name has been associated with it. And he's called Mr. Condom. Uh, they start a restaurant called uh, Cabbages and Condoms, where they want condoms to be as, as prevalent as cabbages. Anyway, so I heard about him through Alan Weissman, who's writing about population. Then that led me to learn about him through his TED Talk, which uh, I'll link to. And Bill Gates has honored him in several different ways with awards and things like that, an article that I'll also link to. And so I thought of him as a guy who worked on family planning. I knew that he did other things about uh, microloans and banking and equity and equality between different social classes and different enabling mobility and things like that. And so he sent me a bunch of stuff, much more than I knew. And since 2008, he's had this school called the Bamboo School, the Machai Bamboo School on the Northeast of Thailand. And he started talking a lot more about that. And that's something I've only learned about more recently. Education is a big deal for me. And if you've, if you heard my podcast episodes with Peter Gray and Nicole Beckwith about the Sudbury Valley School in, in Massachusetts, you know about my passion for self-directed education, project-based learning. The school is like that, except I thought it was so much like it. I thought he must've modeled it on this thing that's from going on before, but it wasn't. Anyway, what I was getting at is that in this conversation, it was so different than I expected. And I so much wanted to learn from this guy that there were some awkward pauses, I would say. But also the other big thing was that he suggested, he was like, if you want to come, come here, you can volunteer. We'll feed you and house you. And I started really thinking about that because I've been, people who know me know my favorite food in the world is Thai food in Thailand, not Thai food in the United States. It's just, it's not the same. And if you know that I haven't flown since actually in five, six days, we'll start my sixth year of not flying. So I, I'm not just going to fly over to Thailand. But a, the reason I learned to sail was to get Thai food in Thailand. So my mind is racing with all this stuff. Maybe for a slightly awkward conversation. I hope it wasn't too awkward for you guys, but I think you'll enjoy it. 
And I wanted to build up why my conversation with Machai Viravaiti was so important to me, why there could be some pauses in it because my mind is racing on so many different things. It wasn't, didn't cover what I expected, but please click through to the videos and the materials I'm going to link to of all the stuff that they sent me because this guy made advances in areas that are the most important areas. If we want to keep Earth's ability to sustain life and society up, his work is, I think he's the living role model we have today. Historically, there would be Thomas Clarkson and and William Wilberforce, W. Edwards Deming. Uh, This is what my book is about uh, that I'm writing now. Anyway, let's listen to Machai. Welcome to This Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Machai Viravadya. Machai, how are you? Fine, thank you. Glad to have you here. Uh, you're coming in all the way from Thailand. Are you at the Bamboo School? No, I'm in a head office in Bangkok. The Bamboo School is about four and a half hours away, and I go there about twice a month, but I'm based in Bangkok, and I travel to do many things from Bangkok. Okay. And you sent me a bunch of material, and I've been watching a lot of it, going back to interviews of you, going back to, I think, the 70s. Yeah, we started in 1974, 47 years ago. Yeah, and, and um, the reporting goes back to there. And the first video I saw was there. You were younger than me then. And you've become a hero for me. Well, I suspect that you st- you've told your story many times. And I would love to bring as much of your story as I can to my audience. Your bio covers a lot of things that I think any one of them would be a great achievement for a lot of people. And you've done many, many things. And so I thought what I would do is go through reading a bit of your bio and stopping here and there and seeing what stories or comments you could share about it. Partly, but I want to give some context what brought me to you, if that's okay. What I would like to uh, relate at the moment is that in the last 47 years, we've had, I would like to call five journeys, uh-huh. five journeys. The first one was the, the journey to reduce births, family planning. Second one was to reduce deaths, that was on HIV AIDS. The third is to reduce financial dependence on others by establishing social enterprises. The fourth one is to try to reduce poverty by pairing, partnering with uh, companies and poor villagers to get them out of poverty. And the final one is to reduce ignorance by bringing in and starting a new education system, a model in Thailand. So those are the five things we've done in 47 years. They're also what connected. Right now, uh, we're using a school as a platform to introduce change, to introduce improvement in the quality of life and income for people and communities surrounding the school. So the school can do so much more than just teach kids. And, and uh, this, is, this needs to be done right around the world. So we're now with the school, uh, based on our past experience also, is using the school as a platform for social and economic advancement in villages surrounding the school. I read from you that of these five things, I would guess that the they're all kind of, it feels like they're, I would bet that they're all things that you're deeply passionate about. I think the world knows you more from the family planning and being the condom king, but I, I feel like the education from what you sent me sounds like it's the more current, the most recent, and maybe the one that is the biggest passion of yours now. I'm not sure. Well, right now, I, I think that, I'm on the right track, and that is using the school as a platform for social and economic advancement in villages surrounding the school. Thailand has 32,000 schools, 76,000 villages, 
And so we can use the school, not only for students, but as a platform for social and economic advancement. And also the school, when I'm experimenting, using it as a clubhouse for elderly people. Don't have to build anything more. And we're now using uh, the school to buy vegetables from elderly couples so that they have food security and income security because the, in- the budget is already there in every school. We're just simply using common sense. This seems to be a common theme of yours, that you are putting together things that make sense to be put together, but other people haven't done. I mean, I've seen... Are you familiar with the Sudbury Valley School in Massachusetts, USA? No. It's also a school where, for listeners, uh, the Bamboo School, I don't think I could do it justice, but it, it, the students, they govern the school, they administer the school, they administer the school, they garden, they build businesses, they provide service. I think that's how they pay to go there is to provide community service. And it doesn't look like a typical school. I think the UN described it as the most, one of the most innovative schools in the world. Yeah, well, what, what we believe uh, the school can be is so much more than what has happened in the past. And I think the future tells us that uh, the school has land, usually, land, building, water, water, electricity, people, teachers. But you've got all the hardware and software available for making changes, and we're not using them to do that. So and I think this is a very important thing we, we need to do, and we, we hope we're demonstrating it. We're doing it about a hundred schools at the moment have one school and others have come to us and they like the system and they've asked us to help for instance, put in a farm for them, a loan fund for students. That's what we've done in our school. So we've been able to do with about hundred schools with the help of the, the business community. Now in the school, I think what's important is that secondary school is probably the best place to learn management. Not at university. University, uh, you're too busy. There are too many people around to give you any detailed uh, uh, information. So we believe that secondary school, six years of it, is the best place to train on on management. So the students have a student government that helps to run the school. They they do all the purchasing from food, paper, bicycles to vehicles. They do all of that. They have to learn how to do it properly. There's an anti-corruption committee. They also buy all the food, everything that we need to buy, they do, they buy. That's, that's the first, first, first one. They also select, interview and select incoming students, not teachers. They also uh, interview and select incoming teachers and staff. They also evaluate teachers each year, how much uh, salary increase will go to the teachers is based on their evaluation after all. Who's the customer? It's the students. Why don't we ask the customer whether the food is good? So that's the approach we're doing. We can do many things ourselves. We can buy the telephone. We can buy shoes, clothes. And what one of the most important things in life we don't do is our teachers. That's our future. But we say we have absolutely no say in it. Just, we'll just take whatever they give. So that's all wrong. So that's it. And they also have to do business because when they finish, because uh, they need to know how to do business. And we believe that our school is a school that helps to generate sharing and social entrepreneurship. In other words, for you to share something, you probably need to create something. So you can share with information, share with instruction, you can share with your hands to help. And so that, uh, so it's a, it's a school for, for helping to create sharing. And they pay their school fees. It's not free. They're not beggars. Why do we have to give it free? So they pay their school fees in whatever they have. 
time uh, and, and kindness. In other words, they have all in them. They have the kindness in their heart. They have time. They have willingness to help. So they pay in 800 hours of community service per year and 800 treat per year divided between the family and the students. We are very important also on discipline. We allow you to use telephone only one hour per, per week. That's all. And you can use the computer for studies, but because most kids use the telephone not for study, but for playing around. So those are the things we're doing, and they go out every Wednesday to serve the community. They, for instance, they go and teach in other schools. We're turning ourselves also into a, a, a career academy. If you want to be a teacher, we can teach you from grade 7 onward. Why do you have to wait till after grade 12 to learn how to be a good teacher? So it can start that. And it can be nursing, can also start in grade 7. All these things are new approaches that uh, we have to recognize and, and, and start moving so that they go out and serve the community in education. They also pair, we call a positive partnership, with elderly couples to help them increase income and food security. There's a loan fund to help them to do this. And they help with the training of vegetable growing for the elderly people. They also go to visit those who are somewhat unable to, to move too much and uh, help them. With, with some food, with home assistance. And now we're just getting some secondhand wheelchairs to take them for nice evening walks around the village in a wheelchair. All these things can be done without, without huge cost. And so that they also go to hospital every Wednesday and provide food for inpatients and play music for them. So every student must play music. We don't have a band. We have the whole school that's a band. So in other words, creativity and the school is colorful. We've got trees all over the place, all painted. Why do you want it to be dull? Cement is colorful. We don't leave it in the same place as cement. You look at your old school. How colorful is your fence? How colorful are your trees in the school? These things can be done to generate people like color. Let's do it. So these are things we're, we're doing, and uh, we've now had 12 years of it, but uh, we had six graduations, and Getting into university is not a problem. It's just hopefully they don't come out more stupid than before going in. I think a lot of people are going to be made very curious by what you said. And you sent me a lot of materials. Can I post all that stuff up on my sure, sure. place for them to, to see? You're welcome to, welcome to use any of it. Yes, please. Actually, I would love to have somebody those listening in uh-huh. come over to Thailand and volunteer. We'll take care of you. We'll provide food, local transportation. And a lot of love in the students and show you a real good experience what education can be in the next century and how the school can play a major role in helping to advance the lives of people around the school. Come over and we'll be very happy to take care of you. I have to say that I was thinking of that while I was looking at that. So I'm, everyone who's listening to this now, there are going to be videos and material for you to download and watch to, so you can see, I mean, the tours of the school are given by students. They're, they look young, everything. but they know everything of what's going on. They know the school backward and forward. Yeah. When visitors come, are they cabinet ministers or senior ambassadors? We've had about 21 there. And the students welcome them. The students do all the briefing in English or in Thai. That's the whole purpose. The teachers behind the scene, the teachers, the coach, they're not on the field. It's the students who are on the field. They have to learn how to talk to senior people, to ambassadors the cabinet ministers, because that's what they need to learn in life. And no other school teaches them that. And our kids are very, very confident when they, get, when they go for interviews at universities. 
they also ask questions of the interviewer. Look, if I'm to spend four years of my life at the university, I want to know more about it. For instance, they will ask, when you were young, what did you do to serve the community? Such as, and many other questions. I have to ask about the founding of the school. How much of it was you starting it? How much of it was, was it your idea? Did other people come to you? Because it's, no, no, no. it's revolutionary, but also obvious. In it's, the last 47 years, the things that we have done, I have been the one doing it. I'm sufficiently undereducated to realize that I have to work and get things done. So I think of it, I take a look at the problems, the needs, and come up with a solution. Uh, same as the school. I just thought, now, why should I have the same school as I had before? For other kids, it's dull, uninteresting. The school is like going to the hospital rather than going to the zoo. Why don't we turn around, make it colorful, make it a place where kids actually want to be there? So, uh, yes, I mean, these things are very basic, and I, I started thinking about it and getting and putting it into action. Some people write about it and nothing happens. I start doing it, and if people want to write about it later on, fine. So I'm basically just a doer. I mean, you can do and and get it wrong. I mean, you could have made a school that failed, but it it looks like unbelievable. I mean, I was like, I would have liked to have gone there. I loved my high school, but it could have gone differently. I guess you had decades of experience at this point. I mean, just because something the old way doesn't work doesn't mean that your experiment would work. Sure, absolutely. Life is about handling failure. You know, when you're in a co- tennis competition, out of 100 people playing, there are 99 losers. In your American football, I don't know, you've got 36 teams, I think. Mean, mm-hmm. 35 are losers. They've got to learn how to handle losses and come back and fight again. We say, think outside the box. Take no as a question. Mm-hmm. We've never taken no from somebody else as an answer. We say as a question, so we go back to them uh, some more because maybe the question was not very clear for them or they didn't have enough information beforehand. So you know, failure is, is, is nothing. Walking up mountains you know, makes your uh, legs ache a bit. So change is a disturbance to the socioeconomic patterns of people. Understand that and introduce in such a way that is gentle, it's soft, and no, not confrontational. It's hard for me not to... I might be jumping way too far back, but can we go back to the 70s to when you got started then? Sure, sure. Because partly, I, I want to be a bit selfish on this conversation. Partly, I want to bring your message out, but partly also, I want to continue doing what you've done. I didn't know about you until I read about you in Alan Weissman's book, Countdown. And, and then after that, there's Ted and reading about you through Bill Gates. And all that was all about the family planning. And what you did changed everything until I knew about it. I had thought of, and I'm sure many people have said this before, but I, I just thought of the one-child policy or eugenics programs that just were authoritarian. And what you did was the, the opposite. And uh, until hearing about your work, I simply, I saw the problems of population but I couldn't bring it up because it seemed if the cure is worse than the, than the disease, take the disease. But in your case, it's, you brought fun, you brought an effectiveness and responsibility. And I would love to be able to bring that to my world and to learn from you and to augment. We'll come over and see and we'll be happy to share with you. So now you're making it hard for me to talk because I'm thinking to myself, like, when can I get there? (laughs) And, uh, I'm not flying, so I, I have to sail across the Pacific, which is a bit of a challenge. I haven't done that yet, but that's what I want to do at some point. 
when you were back, my understanding is that in the seventies, you were looking at the villages and seeing that when you, you had learned growth would solve the problems. And then when you plugged growth in and looked at what would happen if things, if, if the population kept growing, it would not solve the problems, it would not solve joblessness or, or inequities. A lot of people, I know a lot of people here who look at the situation, see that problem. No one seems to be able to do what you've done. Well, maybe they're too well-educated. I regard myself as sufficiently undereducated. Therefore, you have to do things, think of things creative. Don't just sit back, rest on your laurels because you have this first-class honors or second-class honors or master's degree or PhD. And when you have all of that, you're not very more creative than before. So when people are undereducated like me, you have to be creative. And so that's what we've been doing the last 47, 48 years. It's funny because I, I have a PhD and I have an MBA and I'm, I'm working on this book right now. And one of the things I'm saying is that I wish the amount that I had to unlearn and get rid of in order to, because I thought I knew the answers. I thought I, you know, I was like, I know exactly what to do. I know what everyone should do. And I should tell them all what to do. And if they would just follow me, everything would be solved. And it took me years to realize that I had to get, that was, I wish I'd started with nothing because then I'd be ahead of where I was with all this education, this formal education. I should have met you earlier. So, well, there are plenty more we need to do. Uh, secondary education needs, needs changing. Primary education, university also needs changing. At the moment, in, in the case of China and a few other developing countries, when you finish high school, you go, you're in the village, you go to, back to the village. Before long, unless you go to university, before long, you have to go to town and sell your labor because you have no skill, no other skill. Because the school didn't teach you how to do business, how to do agriculture. That's now we'll introduce that. And then these kids can start farms at home and parents can start farm at home and have a very, very good living out of, out of this. So that, that's the first one. Is that teach them how to do business while at school. Now, otherwise, if you don't teach them, they migrate to town. And before long, they will send back their children because sex is fun back to the grandparents to help take care of. You have six million kids in Thailand living with grandparents because the parents have to be in town earning an income. Now, that is definitely not a very productive way to help develop human beings. So those are the things we need to change by improving education, by making, uh, making it inclusive to learn life. A school must also be a place to help advance people, not just to let them get a certificate. And so that income generation is very, very important. And now not only income generation, but sharing, social entrepreneurship. So those are the things that ought to be in the curriculum of schools. And the other one is that they, when they go to university, they can't go back home because they're well qualified. They have a degree. There's nothing for you to do at the, at the village with a degree. So do something else with it. And the other one is that when people leave the village, go to the university, they never come back to the village again except once in a while because you're too well qualified according to what the university says. So what we have to do is that the university come out to the people. Why can't we have what we call pre-degrees? They can come out and teach over the weekends or, or even during the week get the kids who are in year 10, year 11, year 12, to get ready for university without having to go to university. University come to them instead of taking them to university. So that's what we're doing. But the other one is that we're also turning our school and others into what we call career academies. If you want to be a teacher, we work with the university to get you to learn how to be a good teacher, 
And a good teacher doesn't have to be smart, doesn't have to have the right heart. Yeah? And so, how to be a nurse, how to do solar energy, how to manage water, all these things that, that can be done, and on the environment as well. You learn while you're in secondary school, so have, you have six years of it. We're talking to the nursing faculty of one of the universities here, and they're interested in reducing a four-year course for nurses down to two years at the university and bringing the other two years down to the secondary school. All those things can be done, and we have to redo things, rethink. Look at the mobile telephone, what it's done. Look at the electricity uh, in cars. Look at the, the airline travel. But look at the education. It's archaic. You said it's expanding to, I think you said 100 schools in, in Thailand are learning from this school. Is it expanding? Yes. I, mean, I imagine places from outside Thailand are also coming to learn. Is, that, is it expanding? Well, uh, what we're doing now, using, again, as a school, as basic, we're just about to start a school on the Thai-Cambodian border uh-huh. and the Thai-Myanmar border and get them over to come and work and, and see. And then we have funding to get it started in Laos, in Myanmar and in Cambodia. And then hopefully that the international community will be interested to help. And this can be done in every country in the world. Every country in the world. Are you getting much interest from the United States? I Because I I, I'm here, I'm curious about that. Yeah. No, no, no. Because oh. <laughs> I'm looking at them, this would be great. We have a 5013C in the U.S. called Population Development International based in Hawaii, it's 5013C. Anyone who wants to help with the money to the bamboo school, that, that can also be done. Okay. I'm also thinking bring the curriculum or the, not the curriculum, what would you call it, the philosophy, the ethos here? Well, the school must serve, serve humans more than it has been doing in the past, basically. And there are ways, there are many good schools around the world that you can pick and choose from. And I also have to ask that there's, I'm reading from you a, a deep, passion, a set of passions that combine with an effectiveness. It, I guess it's been there from the start. I mean, I'm, I'm only just meeting you for the first time, but I've seen all these videos going back so long. Have you ever flagged? I mean, it, what do you remember what got you started? Do I remember what, sorry? What got you started? I mean, were you... Well, just generally, I, I guess I'm a sort of a change maker. I start from looking at, for instance, when I was at school, uh, I was in, in Australia at the Church of England school. Mm-hmm. And you have to go to chapel every day. And uh, you know, chapel is pretty boring, but it's not bad. And uh, there's a hymn book. And I thought, well, how can I be more creative? So I started writing uh, slogans to be to compete on, on radio and win prizes. So I used the hymn book to do that. And, and then the other one said, well, you've got, you got Shakespeare, Lamb, Shelley. Why do you have to follow them? Why don't you make your own poetry? These are the things that, that I, I felt when I was younger, that why don't we go and do something ourselves? Why always copy others? In other words, think outside the box. I've always thought outside the box, I think, because my father's Thai, my mother's Scottish. So one, one is white, the other one is caramel color, caramel color, and one is Christian, one is Buddhist. So what do we do? Which one should I hate? So in other words, I've learned how to live the two cultures very easily. And my parents encouraged learning uh, about other people, learning about yourself, and about sharing. And they were doctors, both of them are doctors from, uh, graduated from Edinburgh University in, in Scotland. And they had clinics, and they also had a small clinic at home for people who couldn't afford to pay. 
So you go to the regular clinic, you can pay their companies and so on, but there are some people who can't afford to pay. So they come to our backdoor clinic. And I learned that uh, you can do start sharing quite easily. You earn a living and you can also help other people. So that was a concept I saw as a young kid. And, and it's a matter of just sharing and making some changes. Nothing fancy, it just, just occurred. And did you face hurdles? I mean, it feels like in America, there's like this education reform, there's always tons of bureaucracy. And it feels like you you must have hit challenges that you, listening to now, I would guess that you would see the challenges like, yep, that's the challenge. Let's go for it. Let's. I've never been worried about challenges, you know. In Buddhism, there's a quotation that says, birth causes suffering. So you don't want, if you don't want to suffer, then don't be born. Because once you're born, you're born into suffering, learning how to handle it and so on. So when we wanted to make change, we just said, well, we have to make change. And and uh, let me go through the five areas. The first one on family planning, it took me five years to argue as a 27-year-old kid in, in the government to convince the prime minister that we should have a policy on family planning because there are seven kids per family, population growth rate of 3.3%, which meant doubling every 25 years. And uh, we, you know, we couldn't supply all the needs. He said, no, no, keep on studying. So I had to do it for five years. No, no, no. But I give, I didn't give up. And I changed. And I worked with university people. Mm-hmm. And then I thought that university people aren't very good at making changes. So I changed the ally into an editor of a newspaper instead and had a seminar for all media mm-hmm. in the north. And within six months, they came back. They wrote on the policy change. After five years of nothing, six months they changed. In other words, change your ally. Look for a different ally. The government uh, didn't agree with it. There was no budget. That's why I left and started my, my work outside the government because it didn't seem the government would work. I thought the government would work in the beginning, uh, naive like most people. Mm-hmm. And then I realized it did work, so I started from the outside, wrote up, took a look at the situation, wrote up a proposal of how to handle it. For instance, that you had doctors, from uh, women wanted the pill, but you needed doctors to prescribe the pill. You still need that in America. Mm-hmm. We had one doctor per 110,000 women for the doctor to do everything, including the pill. That was not done. So we introduced the nurses with a checklist. Worked extremely well. It was woman to woman. Then we had the midwives. Also worked well. But by the end of that, 20% of the villages were covered. And that was the end of the line of health personnel. What do we do? Give up? Or we go and, and move on. So we took a look and said, how can we get the other 80% going? So I asked the women in the villages, who would you like to supply you with information and pills? It came out almost exclusively to the local shopkeeper, the woman, shop, local shopkeeper. So we trained them and they agreed. And then they've been providing pills and condoms for the last 47 years. And they've turned into what we call village health volunteers under the government now. We started it. And so that's, that's how we get. I didn't get support from the government in the beginning at all. But then they took on after um, afterwards. What I had started by that time was in 18,000 villages, and they took it on. Yes. And then we did something else. Then AIDS came along, and you know, I, I looked at it and saw that uh, with, with cooperation with international organizations, schools, and universities, that the Thailand would have between two and four million infections if nothing were done at that time. Mm-hmm. 
So I got some money from Rockefeller, did sports television, radio, everything ready. Went to the government and said, look, I'd like to put this on government radio uh, stations and, and TV stations to advise the public. And the minister in charge of broadcasting thing said, no, nothing on AIDS can be said on radio and television. It would scare away tourism. So that was my second opposition. So I could have given up because the government said, no, no, I'm the government too. They're living on my, my tax money. Mm-hmm. So I thought, now, who is a, a person above that minister that I can go to? So I went to the Supreme Commander of the Armed Forces and explained to him the situation and that already in the certain parts of the country, 14% of men of military recruitment were already infected. Before long, you won't have too many who are not going to infect it if you keep this up. And he said, my gosh, how can I help? I said, I'd like to borrow a radio station, 300 from the military, and two television networks. And we put all of this in. It was not health people who pushed the launch of AIDS education. It was the military, because we went to them, luckily, and then the government, after that, let on work. And according to the UN, after UNAIDS, after 12 years, they said that the number of new infections came down by 90%, 90%. And according to the World Bank, they said that during the same period of 12 years, from 1990 to the year 2002, uh, 7.7 million people had been prevented from dying. And if you came to last last year, the total number came to about 10 million. Now imagine what would have happened had we listened to this minister who was a bit of a fool. So in other words, take no as a question and just... If you're honest about it, there's an ulterior motive. Go on, don't give up. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, it doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch, but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. This is just utterly fascinating to me and and inspirational. It's partly you present it as as, uh, not simple, but one thing after the next. But also the amount of time in between is fairly long. So it's, you must have had a lot of patience as well, but it feels like you were also strategizing. Like if, if this doesn't work, what will I do? If that doesn't work, what will I do? But never. It's a big mountain. It's a big mountain. It's a long way up. So don't think it's just a little hill. You want to make changes. Changes are required on a long-term basis. And let's say I need to travel. If I cannot travel here, can I go by water? If I cannot walk, can I go by water? If I cannot go by water, can I fly? If I cannot fly, can I go underwater? So don't give up. Yeah, I mean, this is, I'm going to go back and listen to this many times because the United States right now, I don't think many politicians would bring up population as I think they would expect they would not get elected. But when it's that's, that's your misfortune, not mine. So I can. And so I have to find out how to make it a topic of conversation that people are happy to talk about, that people can enjoy. Well, we did it. Yeah, all the kids blowing up condoms. Yeah, we said a condom is a man's best, woman's best friend, not diamonds. Mm-hmm. 
Diamonds can kill you. Condoms will save your life. Actually, we want to build a monument for the condom because the condom helped to prevent 10 million Thais from dying. No other person or military has done that. So we believe that we should have a, a monument to the condom. And maybe people will come from around the world to come and look at it. Well, I don't know what shape it will be yet, but <laughs> it's suggestive. I, I look forward to seeing it. The person who put us in touch, Bill Ryerson, a, a past guest on the podcast, he works with Population Media Center. And he said that when he met you in the 80s in Thailand, that he was at a, um, a mass vasectomy event. I'm not sure if it was yeah. the one that set the world record. And yes. I, I'm going to tell you my view on vasectomies that I think most people don't get. That years ago, I had LASIK surgery on my eyes so that I could see 2020. And when I, after I got it, I, I thought to myself, it's not that they gave me 2020 vision. I had that with, I mean, my eyes needed correction, but when I wore glasses, I would get 2020 vision. What LASIK got me was freedom from the glasses. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people think that a vasectomy gets you not having children, but you can have that without sex. What a vasectomy does is give you great sex. Well, basically, people have many questions and concerns. For instance, some saying that it'll make you fat. Some say it'll make you thin. Some say your bird won't fly anymore. It's going to just lay down in its nest. And all those things. So we have to come and prove it. I said, okay, if you think a vasectomy makes you fat or makes you thin, you prove it, I'll give you a million. And they can't prove it. In other words, do not use science to compete with biases. Use art. Because bias is not science. So we say, you find one and we'll give you a million. So that's why we have the, that, what we call it the millionaire's vasectomy, uh, where we, we did 1,229 vasectomies in one day with the fastest hands from the West, that is the adductors from all over the country, and people came. And after vasectomy, you got a, a a lottery ticket. If you win, you get a million. If you don't win, like everybody else. But we also use luncheon tables, not operation table, just to show how simple it was mm-hmm. that you do not need to go to hospitals to have a vasectomy. You can have it on the roadside. In other words, ask for seven minutes and you're gone. And we use a method that was developed in China by a doctor called Dr. Lee. And there's no stitching required. Very fast. Just a band-aid. They can just go afterwards. In other words, and people realized that it was easy and simple. And as a result, you know, we had very few facilities. As a result, 30% of the entire country's vasectomy came to us, done by us. Now, we were very small. And what's interesting, Bangkok, 80% of men in Bangkok had the vasectomies with us, not at the fancy hospital or the government or the private sector, because we made it relaxing. Fun even. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like you said, don't counter with science, but counter with art. I think of storytelling and I think of, of images rather than explaining. Let, let me give you another very good example of, on the HIV AIDS one. Uh-huh. You know, people say, well, you get it from here by kissing and walking and so on. And I said, look, in terms of science, there are some HIV virus in saliva, but it's so inadequate, it doesn't work. Now, how can they believe it when, when the truth is that there is some? So I said, okay, if you want to get from saliva, you need to kiss and exchange saliva for 50 liters. I don't know how many gallons that is, mm-hmm. 50 liters. Then you can get it. 
And then you probably need to kiss for four years non-stop. In other words, then they got the idea, they laughed about it, okay, there's no, no fear for survival. There's an explanation. It's not lying, but it's just another angle to it. So those are the things that people don't believe that your idea is correct. You're trying to change their idea, so you must go on their wavelength. Yeah, I also saw in one of the videos that showed you with two women with AIDS and you'd share, you you drank the glass from the glass after them. Yeah, well, he just said, well, can you get close to them and so on? I said, look, okay. So I have I have a team of, of, of ladies going around with me, and I said, okay, here's a glass. Put on a very bright lipstick and drink, and you can see the red on it. And I drink afterwards. I said, well, you can't get it. Look, here's proof. Those things matter. And I also took some people living with HIV for dinners outside. These are the people who were open about declaring that they were HIV positive. They became sort of stars. And they went to restaurants with me and we put the pictures in the newspaper afterwards to show that, hey, you know, it's safe. Because some schools, for instance, did not allow a particular woman who was a vendor, food vendor, to walk in front of the school on the road, on the fence side of the school. They need to be on the other side of the road. That was the type of phobia that went on. We had to correct all of that. Plenty of problems. And we we ended up with what's called a positive partnership. We're pairing a person living with HIV with a person who's not infected of their own choice, basically. And then we provide them loan fund and training in business for them to do business and earn a good living. And in fact, it's using economic empowerment as a means to diffuse, to reduce stigma and discrimination using economic empowerment. Money talks, you know that. Yeah, it, it seems like that that hasn't been a problem for you, though. I mean, it seems like what you're doing, I mean, I kept seeing, it would show taxi drivers and the hairdressers and all these people that would be enlisted to propagate the the message, the what you guys were doing. And each one is making money along the way. It's never, no one's doing a favor. Everyone's part of a community that's all working. Part of their job. That's the actual thing. For instance, we have policemen giving out condoms in traffic. We'll call that our cops and rubbers program. Genius. It's it's uh, so simple. Yes. And the principle behind it, don't be well-educated. Be sufficiently undereducated. Then you become creative. If you're too well-educated, you have precedent. You have to remember the quotation in other people's work. So you, you're not as all creative yourself. So don't educate yourself too much. Be sufficiently undereducated and be creative. In the book that I mentioned, I'm, I just finished the first draft and I call all the people experts, but I, I always put experts in quotes because yeah. I think that they're complicating things. Well, to me, they are experts according to themselves. Or I think they're experts in something that's not relevant. Hmm. I mean, I, I'm focusing on, on sustainability and the environment. and Someone may be an expert in how carbon dioxide traps infrared light, infrared radiation, but that's not the issue. The issue is our behavior. And so they're not experts in how to influence people's behavior. So they're experts in something that's not relevant. I mean, if they're really interested in science and they really just want to learn about science, that's great. I've, you know, I have no problem with that if they just want to learn more details about something about how the world works. Well, I have no problems with experts. We just say that everyone needs to do more. Uh, don't leave it to everybody else. What can you do to make a bit of a difference in society around you, one square meter even, just to do something like that? And the other one is that at our school, we get students to ask questions. In other words, 
the first 10 minutes of every class is question time. And the teacher has to try to answer them. They can't, which is normal. They're humans. Then they look it up, and next session they can explain. And then you, if you ask for questions, you begin to think. Otherwise, you're just going to absorb like a blotting paper. Yeah, you remind me of one of my uh, – I teach a bit myself. And this is one principle that gets me is, is a quote from John Dewey. He says, children always ask questions except in the classroom. Hmm. It's a big problem with classrooms that I try, you know, that's something that motivates me. And I have all these questions I want to ask, but I, I really am thinking about what you're talking about going to Thailand and going to the school. Do you have lots of people volunteering as you described? No, not lots, just a little bit here and there. Because I'm partly thinking, is it um, learning? I don't know of anyone who's done what you're doing. And I feel like what you've done is some of the most valuable stuff that could be done anywhere, given the state of the world. And I don't know any better way of learning than to, well, there's lots of ways to learn, but like to, to work with someone. and come, come out, all you need is just an air ticket. Land in Bangkok will pick you up and they'll take you to the school. We have food, as many meals as you'd like to eat per day, not just three. And very, very good, comfortable accommodation, hot water. And there are students who arrive, and school is full of vegetables, and, and very, very colorful, it's green, it's made of bamboo. I suspect that I would also be gardening and things like that. So anyone listening in, uh, also welcome to come. So get in touch, and I'll be happy to do it. And if you just get in touch with me, you can through email. It's Michai, M-E-C-H-A-I, at P-D-A dot O-R dot T-H. That's Michai, M-E-C-H-A-I dot P-D-A dot O-R dot T-H. And I'll be happy to entertain in your interest. Yeah. Anyone who's going to Thailand or is thinking about it, take him up on this. I mean, I alluded to this earlier. I haven't flown in several years, so I, I would have to sail there. Which is a bit of a challenge. I haven't, I haven't gotten across the Pacific yet, but you know, there's plenty of water around the world. You can come by ship. Yeah, that's. I was thinking about going across the Atlantic first, but maybe I'll go for the Pacific first. Anyway, did you know that for you and your your, your fellow viewers, that Thailand has never been colonized? Every other country in Asia has been colonized except for Thailand. I didn't know that. Is there never? You know, you've got uh, Indochina, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, the French. Uh huh. Myanmar, Burma, and Malaysia, the British, India, the British, then China, all sorts of people, the Philippines, America, the, the, the Spanish before Spain, that, yeah. uh, Indonesia, the Dutch, Thailand never. Eh? So that's one. The other one that you might be interested to know is that in 1862, 1862, Thailand offered foreign assistance to America, before, way before USAID was born, offered assistance to America to use as a beast of burden, and if necessary, also in war, was offered to President of the U.S. at the time, President Buchanan, mm -hmm. and the reply came back from President Lincoln. And why we offered it was because we wanted to use America as a friend to keep the French and the British at bay. So we thought foreign assistance would be a good way of doing it. This was done by a Thai king, mm -hmm. uh, the same king as in the film The King and I where the Anna uh, taught uh, English to the, the children of the king. So now, here's something interesting about the And our current, the king who died recently was born in Massachusetts. Huh. So we have a lot of good connections with America. And I'll tell you that 
Thai food is my favorite food. Thai food in Thailand is my favorite food in the world. Yeah, yeah. I can't get the spiciness that you guys have. But yeah, we have a restaurant in Bangkok. Actually, we have 17 in Thailand called Cabbages and Pandam. So it's very good food, Thai food. And yeah, the, when I was in Bangkok last, a couple times I've been in Bangkok, I'm vegetarian, vegan. So there's Mekhai D and a couple other places that I would just love. But to go out into the country and help make it would be a whole other level. So get on a ship and sail over. Yeah, partly I'm doing this on the recording because I want to commit myself. <laughs> You're killing my, it's, it's sort of killed my conversation because, I'm, because my mind is racing so fast. I mean, you've done so much. Are you, do you have new projects coming up? Are you active at the school? I mean, you're not there now, but you say you go there. No, I go there for about five days at a time. Sure, I'm very active, of course. I have a video conference with the students and teachers sometimes from Bangkok. But I go there and spend about five days there, once or twice a month. Yeah, it's just, sorry, you're also very disarming in, in the simplicity of, I mean, you said it several times, don't get held back by the education be uneducated enough to, to just do these things. You succeed in a way that I've only very late in life learned because most of my life I thought I should get trained in this, I should get an education in this, I should get certificates in this, and then I can do it. And now I'm taking away the changes that I've gone through, accelerate that of just do it. Just You don't have to know all the answers to start, but start. Well, I, want, I mean, I wanted to take away what to do I'm partly thinking of in the U.S. how to, well, I was going to say how to change the conversation about family planning, about family size, about population of the United States. Partly it's to get, to get people talking about it, but partly it's also to get people changing their behavior, also immigration. They sound very difficult, and I don't really know where to start. And talking to you, it's just, just go. Well, for as far as I can see, the, the American attitude the number of children in the family is quite a healthy one. That they just want to have the number of children they can care for. And most people have few, and some have large numbers. Average out, it's okay. You just need to make sure that they know the contraceptive methods and they know where to go to. In America, you still need a doctor to prescribe the pill. In our case, the local shopkeepers can do it. Well, there's another big issue in the United States of that uh, we immigrate, we bring in a lot of immigration so that the population keeps rising, even though, as best I could tell, our population is above what we can sustain. And the belief still is here, we should grow. We should have a larger population. We're at 330, 340, 350 million people, and people want it to be 400 million, 500 million. Well, and even if they don't think of what it should be, they think it should be bigger. But whatever it is, it's going to be bigger whether you like it or not. So learn how to manage it. Well, at some point... You run out of resources. Well, look at India. Look at China. You know? They have over a billion, 1.3 billion people already. So you just have to learn. We don't run out of resources if everybody consumes less. If you keep on consuming at the same rate and putting in on weight the way that they are, so that's going to happen. So they've got to learn how to reduce it. Be more, be, be more moderate with your consumption. So you can have a larger population without question. So that raises the question of how to change. Yep. Okay. How to influence. That's your job. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to weigh is like if I spend time here or spend time, go to Thailand, meet you. Start with young children. I believe that many things. I started family planning 47 years ago also with children. We came out with a, 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 a new alphabet 
you know, B for burst, C for condom, I for IUD, from A to Z, uh, mm-hmm. as an example. We also had a snakes and ladders game. If you land on numbers that are pro-large family, you penalize, you come back. If you land on anything that is appropriate, you move ahead. Mother takes a pill every night. No, very good mother, move ahead five. Uncle buys condom. Oh, very good uncle, move ahead six. Uncle gets drunk, doesn't use condom, come back and start again. All those things on game and entertainment. And you get the kids to understand it. You can even use arithmetic. Here's a, a, a piece of land that is not at all fertile. If a, a farmer had 10 children and had 10 acres of land, how much land would each a child get? One acre. What can you do with it? Nothing. What about if you had five children? Uh-huh, you get two acres. What about if you had two children? Five acres. All those things can, can be done using children to, to, to be involved, to have a game and so on. Uh, I'd say that if you want to do it, start with children. Say you should have the family that family is very important. You should have the family that you can really take care of, not be a breeding hen. Yeah, you've given me a lot to work with. I feel like uh, I should probably wrap up because you've got me given me so much to think about. Is there anything I didn't think to ask that I should that to bring up, or anything that you'd want to say to listeners? No, it's just basically I think in conclusion is that. Young children are a real source of change and power. Children. School is probably a most effective platform to introduce changes in communities around the school in terms of quality of life or income or environment or helping the elderly, all aspects mm-hmm. of the school. So the real hope is the school. So I would say the savior of the country ought to be the school. In my country, it should be the school and not the military. Let the military have a rest. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's my conclusion. Well, I appreciate you sharing that and and giving me a lot to think about and a lot to act on. And I hope to come back to you and tell you when I'm coming over. Okay. Well, Machai Viravidya, thank you very much. Okay, Joshua, thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.